Hello and welcome to Inside B2B, a three-part podcast sponsored by The Marketing Practice in which we look at some of the biggest challenges facing B2B businesses and marketers and how to front up to them. With the help of some of the most learned, opinionated and expert B2B marketers around, we hope to stimulate, edify even, and help you navigate the modern B2B marketing environment. What awaits B2B marketers in the near, medium and even long term. That's the subject of our podcast today. To discuss this weightiest of matters, uh, we have three B2B marketing experts. I've got Antonia Wade, who's the CMO of Capita, David Van Shake, who's the CMO of the Marketing Practice, and Philip Oldham, who is the Marketing Director for the UK and Ireland at Lenovo. Welcome to you all. Hi, Russell. Hello. Hi, Russell. To start this on a rather downbeat note, I think it's safe to say that there's going to be a recession. The severity, the shape, and the length is open to conjecture. But most people are expecting the economy to contract, and drastically so. Uh, The lockdown appears to be storing up all kinds of problems that will begin to reveal themselves over the coming weeks, months, and year ahead. Um, on that, as I say, rather gloomy uh, introduction, uh, what does the next uh, 12 to 18 months have in store against that uh, context? And what particular impact will that have on B2B businesses? Let me begin that rather big question uh, with you, David. Ah, tough start. Um, yeah, it's quite a controversial question, I think. Um has everything changed forever, as a lot of marketers like to talk about, or has nothing changed permanently, as a lot of marketers also like to talk about? And we'll kind of snap back to the way we were before as, as soon as we can get back to some sort of normality. Uh, I think probably consumer behaviour will, will tend to the latter. It will snap back. Um, but there will be lasting changes in business, some for the next year or two, I think, and some you know, beyond that. You know, At, at a macro level, Clearly, as you said, there's going to be a global recession, return to growth maybe next year, but not back to pre-COVID levels and therefore pre-COVID budgets until you know 2023 probably for a lot of eurozone and US. And things will have shifted about, you know, growth and capital will have shifted about. I think in many industries, so there'll be a new sets of companies who are winners and losers, and that means new people for you to target. Some will be the same, and there'll be some different ones. So, I think probably the interesting thing as a B two B marketer is to think about what that's doing to your audience. Um, and I think business decision makers are going to be kind of stuck between the rock, if you like, on the one hand of smaller budgets and conservatism around cash in a lot of cases, and the hard place of still needing to transform quite rapidly the workplace, and in many cases, the operating models that sit behind that and the way that they serve customers. And that has some fairly profound implications, I think, for the buyer experience. It's going to be harder to buy. Trust will be a premium commodity for a supplier. So so how do you help customers go through that journey? Um, and I think for you know for B2B marketers, that now is, is a kind of a window of opportunity to build relationships that could then last for the next five, ten years. Thanks, David. You've set it up rather nicely there. We will begin to unpack some of the points that you've made as we go through uh, this conversation today, buyer experience, uh, journeys and the change to them, all big questions. 
Uh, let me bring you, uh, Antonio and Philip, uh, into the conversation. I think what is undisputable, although the, the extent of change is, is for conversation, but that we are going to be entering a period of economic downturn, as I laid out at the beginning. Uh, what does that really mean for B2B businesses and you as a marketer? Is it a case of doing more with less, overhaul of operation, thinking differently about journeys, etc.? Uh, if I could just ask you to pinpoint some of the big changes that you're anticipating as a result of the change in environment. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that what's clear and to build um, on the points that David made, I mean, the variation of the decline will not be evenly spread across all industries. Um, And so being able to be flexible and responsive into different industry problems as the weeks, months and years uh, move forward, I think will be something that we will all need to think about. And of course, I think that the role of government will be elevated as they look to to bail out businesses and um, support um, industries that need a kind of a short or medium term sort of financial propping up. And what happened when we did that, when that happened in the uh, financial crisis was, you know, that comes at a cost. And typically that's regulation. And usually government regulation is very good for the citizen or consumer But it does put pressures onto um, industries and financial services are somewhat used to dealing with regulation, but I think some of the other industries less so. Um, And there's a huge cost to bear. So, you know, just reflecting back on, you know, yes, there'll be, as David said, you know, there'll be reduced budgets anyway. And also we'll see a shift towards some industries having to invest heavily in meeting new regulatory burdens. And we've talked about operating models fundamentally changing. That is absolutely true. And I think we'll see lots of sales of assets, lots of M&A going on, lots of consolidation in the market, as well as, you know, actually how operations themselves systemically run. You know, from a B2B perspective at a macro level, and I know that we're going to come on and talk about some specifics. One of the things, though, that we were already seeing before COVID even happened was was an acceleration towards digital and a shift in buying behaviours. So, you know, we we were looking at um, some research before COVID saying that you know ninety four percent of people are doing research before they even talk to salespeople. Um, eighty five percent of B two B buyers would rather renew digitally rather than engage with sales. Um, and eighty percent of business to business buyers were real expected real time communication through the sales process. Those are all McKinsey facts from pre COVID, and what we've certainly seen since uh, February March has been an acceleration of those trends. Um, and I actually think that some of the things that we in B2B marketing have been anticipating for a while will accelerate fast. Uh, thank you. And you're absolutely right. Uh, we will get into a question of acceleration. Uh, bringing you in, Philip, I was really uh, interested, and I wonder if you're experiencing or preparing for the same, uh, what Antonio was saying there, and it's, an, it's a challenge acute to uh, business-to-business uh, companies, marketers, in particular, that you're serving different vertical sectors uh, and within those vertical sectors, they have their own particular kinds of problems. Um, That's both a challenge, but also perhaps in some areas offers an opportunity. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have seen, uh, as Antonio mentioned, different verticals uh, impacted in different ways. And companies now are having to show a high level of agility to adapt to the new situation, uh, you know whether that means um, you know ensuring call centres have got the infrastructure to, for people to be able to work from home, whether that's uh, workers that previously were using 
desktop computers and fixed phones now having to have laptops and mobile phones or, uh, you know, the changing role of the office in the future. So I think definitely uh, we're seeing that different uh, areas, different verticals are having to uh, adapt at different speeds to this uh, new normal, to uh, uh, to uh, <laughs> repeat an overused cliche now. I think this will uh, really make it uh, a challenge, but as you mentioned, also an opportunity for, uh, for B2B marketers. Uh, we see that uh, the buying cycle is now changing. Uh, David mentioned the uh, the premium that's going to be built around the factor of trust. You know, we can't ignore what's happening in society uh, and the fact that B2B marketing, we're still marketing to humans. So, you know, people are feeling much more retrenched, uh, much more looking for security, uh, less willing to take risks, far more centered around stability and uh, now kind of uh, protecting themselves for the future. So I think we're going to see a big change in the tone of voice that we need to employ as marketers to recognize those those changes in society moving forwards. Thanks. So you've done a, a great job in uh, in setting out and setting our stall out for discussion around some of those big challenges. So let's round around uh, some of those again. This uh, this question of digital transformation and acceleration of that transformation, obviously in terms of consumer behavior that's been enforced upon many people over the last couple of months and a lot of that behavior will change Um, personally i think it's been overstated that we're facing wholesale change i think there will be incremental change and perhaps some of that incremental change that was going to happen will be quicker but uh, in terms of b2b and i'll come back to you antonia because you made the point about digital acceleration what does it mean for the B2B marketer? What does that actually result in on a day-to-day basis in the way that you approach business and client relationships? Yeah, so I think it's it's kind of an interesting coming of age for B2B marketing. You know, we we who've been in B2B marketing for a while, and I'm, you know, this is my second major transformation job that I've done. And the kind of constant refrain is, you know, particularly in a very sales-led environment, you know, could marketing have more of a seat at the table? Could marketing take, you know, take more of the relationship? Could we provide better air cover for sales? And one of the things that we've seen um, since uh, this crisis started has been a huge increase in demand for the types of content, uh, for the multi-channel coverage that we are able to provide in marketing, and also some of the insights that we are able to give um, because... I think, you know, we're having to listen to what clients need differently. And more often now, because of the crisis, clients are in a, I have a a problem set versus, you know, that I need to try and uh, scope and understand versus I'm quite clear what the solution is that I need. And I just want to get to it as as fast as I can. So, yeah, I think that um, we've definitely seen a huge appetite for um, marketing. uh, And I think that B2B marketers are, are well positioned to deal with that. For me, a logical extension of where this would go is, and what I would love to see happen, maybe a controversial view, is that we would really start to break down this channel approach to servicing the client. The idea of having sales and marketing and sometimes even digital separately, I think, is going to become quite an antiquated way of thinking about how you respond to client need and demand. And indeed, how do you find new clients and prospect and and open up new markets? 
And so, you know, I think that the role that digital plays and the role that marketing plays, and I think there's a great opportunity for us to step up and lead. You know, how do you really firmly put the client at the heart of how you find new markets? How do you develop new products? How do you engage with the client throughout the whole buying cycle? Um, and I think that as that shifts and as the economic constraints of clients become really critical, um, you know, they're going to be looking to their suppliers and partners to step up for them in a different way. And I think marketing is an interesting place to do that. I was just going to add that I think that the same thing carries through in terms of organizational design, both for internal marketing teams and agency teams. I think historically, uh, the legacy thinking has been that digital is always a specialism within marketing, and you might have digital specialists within a marketing team, or you might go to a digital specialist agency. But I think what we're living through now is accelerating that change to actually digital is everything. And it's no longer a specialism within marketing. It needs to be all of marketing. And whilst uh, there's still going to be specialist areas, I think there's going to be a real requirement for everyone to have a good level of digital expertise. Mm, I really like this sense that uh, this will be acceleration in an acceleration of getting rid of bad practice and bringing marketing back to the fore because what you just said philip is is absolutely what should be the case regardless of whether or not it be to b or b to c that digital is everything rather than a specialism and putting the customer to your point antonia right at the center seems like 101 in marketing regardless of the kind of marketing and company that you work for um, but if we can accelerate towards that future then that's the kind of intervention um, not necessarily welcome but positive outcome that uh, that will suit and serve businesses and marketers very well and David yeah. from sorry Antonio well, I, was, I was just going to build on that Russell because I think that's a good point and also what Philip said about um, kind of organizational design I mean I have long held the belief that if you look across the buying journey from whether it's kind of very early stage origination right through to somebody who's been loyal to you for you know 15 years there's never a point at which it's 0% marketing and 100% sales or 100% marketing and 0% sales and I think what we've seen over the last few months is sales leaders coming much further up uh, that kind of the funnel, if you will, and playing a more active role in amplifying using digital channels, posting, uh, composing um, blogs and points of view, coming into, you know, even you know things webinars and podcasts such as this and so i think again you know this this idea that you know the client experience is shared across the buying journey again i think that that's also another area that's been accelerated it's supported by digital but it's actually a cultural and a mindset shift um that i think we i, I definitely have seen that accelerate over the last few weeks and months and i think that otherwise that might have taken us years so is that what's actually happening uh, in Capita? And I'll extend that question uh, to you, Philip, at Lenovo, that you are looking to accelerate changes in organizational uh, design to, to reach this better future that you've just laid out. So I think it's a bit early for us to say, are we going to reflect it into organizational design? But certainly over the last you know, 16 or so months that I've been at Capita, we put in a single CRM system, we put in a marketing automation platform, and we've replatformed the website and introduced a much more varied multi-channel approach to our marketing. So I think actually uh, what we'll see in the immediate term is an acceleration on the return of that investment. 
and a proper use of that digital sort of system, if you will, in service of the client. And whilst, you know, all technology implementations are actually at heart change implementations, but usually the tech goes in and the change takes some time to really bed in. I think what we've seen in Capita is that the change journey has been accelerated. So we're better able to use all of the insights that we've got, all of the channels that we've got, um, and, you know, really the breadth of the marketing, sales and account management team in order to serve the clients better. And Philip, what's uh, what's changing or planned for change at, uh, at Lenovo in that regard? Well, I think it's very interesting what Antonio was saying about the client experience being shared between sales and marketing throughout the buying journey. And I think what's happening now with the focus on digital and the uh, the fact that uh, salespeople are having to adjust their way of working to this new environment has also driven an increased realization across the company that actually marketing can play and should play a role right the way through the buying process and that's something that I think that I've seen definitely accelerating over the last over the last months and that's where we've got a, an important role to play to make sure that uh, you know whether it's through content and social selling which we're seeing more and more happening now or providing uh, digital sales enablement tools for our teams that actually you know sales and marketing are being brought together uh, to work more closely to de- deliver that experience to customers. That's really interesting. I mean, in many ways, uh, from what I know uh, and from the conversations that I've had with B2C marketers, B2B might be more advanced and marketing might actually be stepping up to take a greater role because in many situations in B2C, uh, their role has been reduced because it had already been reduced to communication. So a lot of the tactical and strategic uh, levers that perhaps were the domain of uh, B2C marketers in the past and sound like they might still be very much uh, the oversight of B2B marketers have been taken away. Um, David, you brought up the conversation of uh, buying cycles and uh, the relationship between marketing and sales and how that is and might change. Uh, so what's your observations on what Antonio and Philip have said there? Yeah, I mean, I think what Antonio was saying about, you know, I'd absolutely love it if, if if this is an opportunity to really break down some of the silos in the in the front office between sales and marketing and focus that more on kind of combined efforts that, that really focus on the, the customer and the customer experience and I think um, you know I think there's something really interesting now um, for the next certainly 6-12 months um, about the size of the problem and the type of the problem that you're solving for your clients so you know, back to where they, that ability to make change uh, and probably deliver some results in a relatively short time frame. So it's problems that are maybe not too small that they're not going to make the extremely long, you know, top of, enough of the extremely long to do list, but are small enough that it can be done and show results, say within six months. So I think that that's a really interesting area. And then I think there's a there's a choice you've got about how you do it. You know, how you go about doing the, the the reconfigure the pivot as everyone talks about uh you can you know you can put the words unprecedented and and we're here for you now more than ever in front and move on or you can really do the work to get under the skin of the customer need and work out what it is you can actually do now actually do not just say to to help them but also kind of what what's a really sellable size of problem and type of problem and which of your customers are really in a, in a place to actually be able to buy it 
So that's kind of classic segmentation targeting positioning work, I think, and the best marketers will be doing that anyway. Yeah, I think it's 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 where success will come from, I think. I mean, it sounds very early in the piece that what we're saying as uh, as the best route to success is is good old fashioned uh, strategy led uh, marketing throughout. Um, I mean, in terms of planning for changes ahead, uh, when we did the first podcast, as I said at the beginning, it was all very fresh. It was all very raw. raw. It was all very, what the hell has just happened? Um, I mean, how how do you think forward and can you start thinking and planning for what's next, not just next month or in the fourth quarter, but for next year? I mean, is 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 that possible is that right there are so many unknowns as we uh, as we've discussed already how do you plan for the future so one of the, so our immediate response um to covid was to go out with a sort of business unusual type campaign um and we a few weeks ago uh, our brand campaign uh, shifted a gear um and now it's shaping tomorrow together and the reason why we liked that was the the idea of shaping something means that it's sort of still not formed, right? And I think that that is where most people are. Um, tomorrow has a breadth of horizons to it, right? So tomorrow could be Friday, but it could also be next year, depending on how you're thinking about the world. And together, obviously, implying a sense of collaboration. And I think that all of those things are important as we think about next year, because there's so much that's unknown. However, there are still some things that are known. And at a principal level, um, you're talking about strategy. Actually, for me, it comes through insight and listening. So how are you listening differently to clients? How are you asking the right questions so you can really get under the skin of what's on their mind today and tomorrow? Um, and how do you then interpret that and act as that kind of interpretation layer into the breadth of the offerings that your organization offers today? Or indeed, how are you feeding that into your organization so it can shape uh, new solutions that can help to drive client value. So that, I mean, that is some, that's a sort of best practice principle that you should always do, but it just becomes more important now. Mm. I think in terms of, you know, if I was being asked to sort of work out what's my Q3 2021 spend right now, I think I would be reluctant to do that because I think that we don't know yet Um enough to be able to reliably predict. In some ways, I find that quite exciting because I've never really been a let's take last year's plan and rinse and repeat it, make a few tweaks and go again. So I sort of don't mind that. But it does mean that you need to do it, build in a more agile and frequent what I call plan and course correct model into your marketing because you can make a plan that's the best plan you can make based on the information that you have and then what you need to do is make sure that you have appropriate milestones where you can go well what did we learn and what's the market now saying and how do we course correct and if you had been doing that on a quarterly basis you might need to make that monthly and if you've been doing it on a yearly basis you should do it quarterly so I think it's about the frequency with which you really interrogate the performance of what you're doing and look out into the market and the clients and course correct your plan. Philip, are you as excited uh, about not knowing as uh, Antonia seems to be? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure excited is the right word, but uh, uh, you know, I think from a business perspective, a lot of companies are kind of in the uh, all bets are off mode. But I think as marketers, this is where we have a challenge to uh, explain back into our organizations the value of uh, holding up those marketing investments. I was uh, looking at some data quite recently, which showed after the last uh, financial crisis, uh, it was 
demonstrated that the companies that had held their nerves and kept their marketing investments stable or even increased during those tough times actually reaped greater rewards coming out of that situation versus companies that really retrenched and cut everything right back. So I think, you know, there's an opportunity for us to uh, change our tone of voice, to have a more helpful and solutions-focused messaging to uh, B2B customers moving forwards and get, put ourselves in a much better position for the future, even when overall businesses might be looking with uh, a certain level of uh, trepidation or even pessimism at what next year might hold. It's a very live debate, the question of investing in the uh, in long-term brand building through a recession and the virtues of doing so. And I think there's some work that came out probably about a month ago from the LinkedIn B2B Marketing Institute done by Peter Field, uh, where he was replicating some of the work that had been done for B2C companies and found that there's great uh, great virtue and value in uh, both B2B and B2C maintaining share of voice and building brands through a recession when many people are de-investing in that period of time. Um, David, where do you stand on um, on that? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there is a, a general, you know, the research suggests if, if you, 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 you continue to invest, you will reap the rewards. And that's true. But I guess at, some, at the top level, that's probably a bit... Uh, simplistic to be useful so uh, i think the part of the key to me is that there are windows of opportunity now i think as as things shift around because of the crisis so just to give you one example because we you know we have uh, an office in germany so we're quite focused on that market and the german mid-market is a great example where um you know according to the oecd just it was only 16 percent, i think of german firms use cloud services pre the crisis, which was well below the average. Finland's like 50 plus, Japan 45%. And the theory is basically because they were growing so well without needing to digitally transform. Um, they were sort of so busy fulfilling orders, really. They didn't need, they didn't have the impetus. And and I think that now has changed. There is the impetus to transform. You know, they're, they're probably projected to shrink about 6% the German economy this year and then grow again by 5% in 2021. So, there's a window of opportunity where these companies, particularly in the German mid-market and the Mittelstand, will be looking at, right, now's the, now's the time where we have to make these changes, um, make the leap towards digital transformation. And they'll be signing deals that will then close the door to other vendors. So for anyone looking at Germany as a market, there's a, there's a, there's a window of opportunity now in the next six to 12 months where you can, and that point that Antonio made about really listening to the customers, getting close to the customers and finding that opportunity to f- help them figure that problem out. And you can then build relationships that last for five years, 10 years. Um, and, you know, I think there are, there are lots of other examples of that. The education sector, I think, would be a good example where they're, they're really having to rethink their model. And there's going to be a lot of change and disruption in the next six to 12 months. So I think um, it's not quite brand versus demand, but I think it's it, it's thinking about uh, where those opportunities uh, really uh, really lie. I guess particularly at the demand end, and then um, you know the, the at the brand side, the, the classics will still apply of, of being consistently mentally available so standing out having a consistent message consistent use of your brand assets you know that that doesn't change i think 
And whether or not you are trying to make the uh, case for investment in brand or other areas, how should uh, marketers, B2B marketers in particular, engage other stakeholders uh, to ensure, to, to speak to your point, Antonio and Philip, I think, that marketing's role is central to recovery? Antonio, let me begin with you on that question of uh, stakeholder engagement. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, again, it sort of comes back to sort of fundamental best practice, I guess. But, you know, understanding what the needs of your stakeholders are from a marketing perspective. So we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, holding money for marketing. Um, but, you know, if you're speaking to a CFO and you know that they are in a situation where they need to take some cost out of the organization, you're probably smarter to proactively offer it and think about managing the implications and the um, downside of it um, because you know that that's what they need to do and you'd rather be in front of it than have it done to you with a target. So you know, I think it's about looking at what what is it that your stakeholders need from you. So right now our sales teams need us to help them to uh, be visible in the market, to scale, to grow, to originate. Our finance function need us to be prudent on costs, to be clear about what we're spending, why we're spending it and what we're spending it on. Our more operational teams are looking for us to be able to really show that a pound in marketing is, you know, has as much or more value than a pound in product development, or whatever else it is. And those things always existed. So it's really about understanding who your stakeholders are and what is it that they require for marketing so that you can serve the best data and information that you can to help them to understand the value that you're bringing as an organization. So exactly the same principles that you would apply to great client marketing, you should be applying to great internal marketing. Um, yeah. That's how you shape uh, tomorrow together with internal colleagues as well as uh, externally then. Uh, Philip? Yeah, and I'll just add to that, I think the you know, part of the uh, one of the advantages of the mix shifting almost entirely to digital f- from a marketing perspective is that it's far easier than many other uh, disciplines to demonstrate to especially a sales focused business how you're delivering that value to the company, whether it's, you know, lower funnel conversion or engagement levels. The benefit of the digital is that you're able to demonstrate that much, much clearly in a way that is is more meaningful to a financial or sales orientated uh, business leader. Just one small point to add to that. We've just done some research uh, with Marketing Week, as you know, Russell, that um, with 500 B2B marketers and, and the answer to the reason, the most common reason why their programs fail was not budget or proposition or targeting or competitors but uh, lack of buy-in from the rest of the business that's been the same for the last two years so clearly that you know that stakeholder management piece is still a really really important part of the job for any marketer same as it ever was but more of an acute uh, problem and challenge indeed for marketers to overcome uh, this year i mean whether or not it's this year and indeed into next i mean i think it's uh, apparent i promised i'd get gloomy again uh, a bit more pessimistic rather than the sunny vision that we painted a bit earlier but you know there's going to be pressure on costs there's going to be less budget as we've already discussed and indeed there's going to be redundancies uh, throughout all organisations, I think that much. I don't think I'm going out on a limb in saying is 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 inevitable. I mean, as marketing leaders, how do you how do you manage that uh, to keep your teams focused 
uh, on the job and on the future when there is a lot of consequence around them. Um, let me begin with you, Antonio. So I think that, um, well, there's a few things. I mean, in terms of focus yeah, for us, and actually uh, Philip's point was, yeah, I totally agree with, which is the upside of digital and actually putting in things like marketing automation is you can really start to see the impact of the marketing team's efforts on real money. And I find in the main that's pretty motivating and also quite helpful in terms of retaining a, a pretty aggressive sense of focus on uh, the impact of the work that you're doing. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is that, you know, we're lucky in a way as marketers that we tend to be a creative group of people and the challenges that we have at the moment. So, for example, I'm, you know, obviously looking to keep my costs down. That's meant that we've had to look at how we work with agencies. We've had to slow down some of the hiring plans that we had this year. But what that means is that we just have to be a bit more agile and a bit more creative around how we solve then the uptick in demand um, and the increased ask from marketing at the moment. And so, you know, that's kind of pushed us to think about how do we operate in a more agile and flexible way? Can we create squads who solve specific problems for us? You know, so it's pushed us to kind of get creative, I guess, around how we do things. At the end of the day, this is a this is a global pandemic that is going to disrupt lives and livelihoods. I mean, that is the reality. And I think that you know we've seen a lot with uh, you know Mental Health Awareness Week the other week, and you know, some of the other things going on, which is you know people are finding this situation extremely challenging. So from a less as a marketing perspective, but more from a leadership perspective, I think, you know, making commitments to your team and sticking to them about how you're going to operate and behave in these periods, making sure that you take time to recognize people's additional work, making sure that you show that more human and empathetic side of you. Um, I think all of those things become in incredibly important as you're helping your teams, who of course are also human beings, dealing with um, you know, homeschooling, caring for people, working from home, perhaps which they've not done before in suboptimal conditions. And so being able to be empathetic, uh, I think is incredibly important at the moment as well. And having to deliver all of that via video camera as well, I think, brings an even more acute focus on uh, on uh, self-awareness and being able to deliver that kind of leadership. Exactly, exactly. Thank you both. Uh, drawing the conversation uh, together a little bit, if there was one thing um, that you would advise as senior marketers, as experienced marketing leaders, uh, for people to do or think about over the next, let's say, six to 18 months, what would that be? What would your one piece of advice be? Uh, let me put you on the spot, David, and ask you that question firstly. Um, yeah, so I think it would be going back to the that idea of the window of opportunity and where those windows of opportunities are. And I think probably combining it with, with what Antonio was talking about, about really trying to actively listen to the customers, figure out how those needs have changed. Because I think that is where B2B and B2C are a bit different at the moment, because I think that debate about whether consumer behavior will really change or not isn't isn't so valid in B2B that I think business decision-making will change, is changing. Uh, customer needs are changing. So spending that time and finding ways to actually connect with customers and listen to them and understand them and really pinpoint where the opportunities are that you can do something to build a partnership that's going to stand you in good stead for years to come or find opportunities that where you can 
you know, sell stuff that that's going to meet the right size problem in, in the current environment. Thank you, Philip. I think my main point would be if there's anyone out there that's still pigeonholing digital as a specialist discipline within marketing, I think it's time to change the way of thinking. I think uh, digital now is is all pervasive and it's a skill that is going to be required right across the marketing mix and through the marketing team. I'm sure uh, everybody would agree with that as a rallying call. Antonia, you've got the last word today. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll use part of it just to absolutely endorse what both of the others have just said. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think that there's a pessimistic view of the world and there's an optimistic view of the world. And what I try to do is to say, well, you can only operate within the constraints in the environment that you're in, but every opportunity comes with it. a chance to rethink how you do things. So I would encourage everybody to maybe use this as an opportunity as a springboard to think differently about digital. This is the chance not just to you know rinse and repeat last year's plan. This is a chance to, um, as David mentioned, to completely transform your relationship with some of your clients. And so really thinking about how you do that and then how you tell the organization about it and how you share those insights, I think would be my top tip. Thank you very much. It's not my job to give you a top tip. My job is to summarize. And I think if I'm going to take anything away from uh, from the conversation we've had uh, today is that, of course, there's lots going on. There's lots uh, that is changing. What doesn't appear to be changing from what you're telling me is the job of marketing. If we all agree that the job of marketing is to listen and learn, to be attuned to both your market and your customer, which it is and always has been, that's not going to change. And as long as you understand that, that's perhaps the best way to exploit some of the opportunities, but also deal with a lot of the difficulties that we're about to face up to in the months and uh, indeed years ahead. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, David. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Antonia. Thank you, Russell. Thanks very much. Thanks, Russell. You have been listening to Inside B2B with me, Russell Parsons, and producer Tim O'Donoghue, brought to you by Bauer London Creative and sponsored by The Marketing Practice. You can listen to the first episode in this series and indeed other podcasts from Marketing Week by going to the Marketing Week page on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify and subscribing. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.